that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? It was August 9th, 1945, right after the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, the condition, General, the Japanese surrendered to General MacArthur, and the condition was unconditional surrender. Unconditional surrender. Now, let me explain a little bit about unconditional surrender. That was the terms that were reached. Unconditional surrender. That meant the Japanese property, their homes, their land, their women, their children, everything was ours. The condition was unconditional surrender. And of course, in the signing of the papers, you know, the Japanese with their black suits and their high top black hats came to MacArthur and the condition was read and the response was height, height, which means yes, you know, we surrender. It's a powerful moment. Now, I want to tell you something. God requires nothing less from you. What am I saying? Okay, I'm saying this. God requires of you unconditional surrender. In other words, once you have exhausted all of your options, once you've tried plan A through Z, when your back is against the wall, and the only logical thing for you to do is unconditional surrender. Now, I'm saying, what I'm saying is this. Most people, in fact, most professing Christians, never, ever come to this. It's like, in most people's relationship with God, it's like a halfway house. You know, they halfway come to God, but they never achieve what God truly wants. Churches are full, yes, of deeply religious people, yes, who have never been brought to the point of unconditional surrender. So I'm asking you, in your relationship with God, have you ever been brought by the power of God to the point of unconditional surrender? Most of you have not. Let me just clear the air on this. Most of you have not. Now, in the military, the military will actually tell you what part of your anatomy they own. They will get in your face and they will say, we own your... And of course, I can't say that on a religious program. You wouldn't say that on a religious program, that word I was getting ready to say. But it's the same with God. God owns you. Wingtip to wingtip, head to toe everything about you. A true relationship with God is about unconditional surrender. Let's take a look at this verse, powerful concept here. John 13 and verse 13. Jesus said, you call me master and Lord and say well, for so I am. Jesus clears the air here. He just says, I am your Lord and master. And I see all kinds of people, religious people, who, who want to make Jesus their Lord. Yes, their Lord. But the master thing, you know, let's not kid ourselves. Master is about 
unconditional surrender. And you see things, you know, you see bumper stickers. I, you know, you hear people talking. I, well, I love Jesus. Isn't it great to know the Lord? Uh, Jesus is my Lord. They never say Jesus is their master. No, they never say that. Oh, but yeah, Jesus is my Lord. You know, and the Lord is working mightily here today while we're handling snakes. And just the other day, the Lord healed Bertha Butt's big toe. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. You know, and yet, in the world, while the Lord is working mightily in your church while you're handling snakes and you're going through all the faith or fake healings, I might should say, but whatever they are, you know, uh, knocking people upside the head, you know, whatever is going on in, in the comedy hour, you know, the religious comedy hour that comes on on Sunday morning. But, you know, while the Lord is supposedly working mightily in your church, around the world right now, as I speak, hundreds of thousands of Christians are being killed and persecuted. And yet the liberal news media will not cover this. They will not cover, you don't know this, do you? That there are hundreds of thousands of Christians being persecuted for their faith and killed for their faith. And of course, when you got a president who is an apologist for the Muslim community, what else would you expect? What else would, would you expect? I see bumper stickers, you know, my, my, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. Well, let's find out if your boss, if Jesus is really your boss. Let's find out. You know, in the military, they have a, a statement, it's like, aye, aye, sir. When you're given a command, you know, you say, aye, aye, sir. That means I have heard the instructions and I will carry out the instructions exactly as you have said. Aye, aye, sir. A true relationship with God is about unconditional surrender. You surrender to God. You give, now let me go through some points about what I'm talking about. Number one, you give God authority and power over this right here, your mind. What goes on between the ears. God, my mind is now under your control and authority. You know? Okay, okay. I used to be a womanizer. I used to undress women in my mind. I used to be addicted to pornography. All these things that we could go through. I used to have anger issues. I don't get even. I get, you know, I don't get mad. I get even. And I kill people in my mind. I get angry in my mind. All of that is a thing of the past because God now has authority and power over the thoughts that go on between your ears. And listen, don't, don't, don't try to convince me that you're a Christian if you have never given God power and authority over your mind, if you've never yielded up your thoughts, your evil, rotten thoughts, things that go on between your ears. If you've never done that, don't try. Go tell some other sucker that you're a Christian because I'm not buying it. If you've never given God authority and power over what goes on between your ears, the thoughts of your mind. There is a battle going on right now for the thoughts and control of your mind. Right now, there is a battle going on in every avenue of life, in entertainment, in the books that you read. There is a, a battle going on for the thoughts and the control of your mind. Who is winning that battle? Who's winning that battle? Have you given God authority and power over the thoughts of your mind? This is what it means to come to a point of unconditional surrender to God. Number two, you give God authority and power over your money. Oh, no, I can just hear someone say, oh, no, another television evangelist begging for money. Listen, I'm not begging for money. I don't want your money, okay? 
I teach tithing because the Bible teaches tithing. That is, 10% of your income goes to God. You will never, and one thing you will never hear me say is send your tithe to me. Because that's, a, that's an act of worship. It's between you and God, where the Spirit you know, works in your heart and he, it can conveys to you, conveys to you where you should send your money. But the point I'm trying to make, tithing is a biblical concept, 10% of your income. You know, you thought, didn't you? You thought your hard-earned hard money was all your own, didn't you? I mean, I work hard. I work 40 hours a week. Yeah, 40 hours a week. That's a joke. Uh, that's nothing, 40 hours a week. I'm just getting started, you know. But anyway, you know, this money, I worked hard for my money, and it's my money, and I'm not going to, wait, are you kidding? I'm not going to give 10% to God. Let me tell you something. 100% of your money belongs to God, and he graciously allows you to keep 90%, okay? Hey, the IRS takes 30% to support an evil, diabolical institution like Planned Parenthood. Did you know that's where your tax money goes to? To support that evil, diabolical institution called Planned Parenthood? Yeah, yeah. Well, 30% goes to the IRS. God only requires 10%. 10%. But listen, don't try to convince me that you're a Christian if you haven't learned how to give God power and control over your money. How often do you get paid? How often do you get paid? Once a week? Okay. Every week you get an opportunity to prove to God that you're a true Christian. How? By giving God 10%, what is rightly His, 10% of your income. Now listen, there is a reason these issues hit at the heart of man. There's a reason these issues I'm, just, I'm, I'm talking about hit at the heart of man. What goes on between your ears, the way you think, your money, oh, that hits at the heart of man, does it not? Well, let's take a look at Matthew 6 and verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Yeah. Oh, your money reveals a lot to God about you and where your heart is at. Did you honestly believe that you could go through your entire life getting paycheck after paycheck after paycheck and never give God his tithe, 10% of your income, and still call yourself a Christian? Did you honestly believe that? That you can work you know, every day of your life, get a paycheck every week, and never give the 10% to God and still call yourself a Christian? You're a fake. You're a fraud. You're not real. You're a baloney Christian is what you are. Third, unconditional surrender. Point about unconditional surrender. You give God an authority, power and authority over your time. Now listen, you thought your time was all your own, didn't you? Well, I will do whatever I please with my time. It's my time. It's my time. Well, let me inform you about something. Exodus 20 and verse 9 says, Six days shall you labor and do all your work. Yeah, six days. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord, thy God. In it you shall not do any work. Now, for all you want to be Christians, let me inform you, that's the fourth commandment. Let me enlighten you, that's the fourth commandment. There's not nine commandments for you to keep. There's ten commandments. Don't exclude this one. Now, did you, do you honestly believe that... that, that 
Did you think that you could just touch bases with the Lord for 45 minutes on a Sunday? You know, go to church on Sunday and then out the door you go, 45 minute worship service and you're right back to your regular routine. You're plowing the field and you're mowing the grass and you're cutting down wood. You're doing whatever you want to do. Did you honestly believe that? That you can get by, that God doesn't require on the seventh day in it you shall not do any work. On the seventh day, the Sabbath, which is Saturday. You're not supposed to do any work on that day. What, what part don't you get about those words? That's the fourth commandment, by the way. Do you not understand it? Can you not comprehend it? In it, you shall not do any work. It's a day of connectivity with God. I mean, do you honestly believe that you can work seven days a week and still call yourself a Christian? You're working yourself to death. Well, I work seven days a week. Don't tell me you're a Christian. Save that for some sucker that will believe you, because I don't. You know, there's going to come a time when you meet God, you meet Jesus Christ, and he's going to say to a lot of people, look, you didn't know anything about the Bible. Did you never read the Bible? How can you go to church for 40 years and never stumble across the fourth commandment? That says, six days shall you labor, but the seventh is the Sabbath. How can you go to church for 40 years and never stumble across that? Do you never read your Bible? Do you never open it up? Do you never blow the dust off of it and read it for yourself? Are you letting somebody else read it for you? Are you letting your preacher interpret the Bible for you and tell you, no, 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 that doesn't matter. That was for the Jews. That's for somebody else. Not for us. Not for, no, there's nothing for us. You know, we just sort of enter. We just sort of, we don't do anything. The Sabbath day is the day of connectivity with God. It's a 24-hour period. It's a 24, your time is not all your own. God owns the Sabbath day. God has given you six days to do whatever you need to do. You see, the real problem with this, this is what I've always understood about the Sabbath day. Most people don't work like I do. When it's one o'clock in the afternoon, one hour after lunch, and you've already spent, you've already put in eight hours, and you're just getting started, like 16 hours a day. You know, when you work 16 hours a day, you don't wake up on the Sabbath day and think, I want to do some work. I'm about to die to do some, what can I do today? No, it's a day of rest. You don't do any work. It's a day to connect with your God, the God of the Bible. Every Sabbath day, you get a chance to prove to the world that you're a real Christian. In our business, we shut down our business. Our workers don't do any work for us. We don't allow them to do anything. We don't allow them to make us any money on the Sabbath day. We shut our business down. Now, what are you missing by not keeping the Sabbath? <clears throat> Let me tell you. Let's, let's take a look at it. Let's take a look at it. Isaiah 58 and verse 13. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, notice God refers to his Sabbath as his holy day. And call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord. Notice, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and you shall honor him. It's a day to honor God. Not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. In other words, it's not that you just got to lay in bed all day on the Sabbath. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying, the Sabbath is not, it's, 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 not, it's about God's time. It's a day of connectivity. It's a day for you to quit, to unplug yourself, just like an odor, overloaded receptacle. You ever seen some of those things? People will plug 20 things into one receptacle. It's a time you just unplug yourself from the world and you connect 
with God. That's what the Sabbath is about. Let's continue on in Isaiah 58 and verse 14. Isaiah 58 and verse 14. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Notice this. I, if you keep my Sabbaths, I'm going to cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth. And I'm going to feed you with the heritage of Jacob. You know, the, the point is, God says, look, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour out blessings upon you if you keep my Sabbaths. I'm going to cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth. You know, there are incredible blessings connected with the Sabbath. I'm part owner of a business. We've been in business 30 years. We do masonry work. It's dangerous work. We work 30 feet up in the air, 40 feet up in the air on a chimney or scaffolding and stuff like that. And in the 30 years, we've never had an accident. Oh, there's been cuts and bruises, but I'm talking about no broken bones, no major accidents, no lawsuits. How do you stay in business for 30 years? And of course, again, we don't work on the Sabbath. We don't allow our workers to work for us on the Sabbath. And there's incredible blessings connected to the Sabbath. Listen, does everything you do end up in frustration in your business, in your work? Are you always frustrated? Can you never make enough money? You can't seem to make ends meet. You can't just seem to get it going right. Try keeping his Sabbath. I know you're talking, you know, I'm talking about a day off. I'm talking about a day when you don't work, the Sabbath day. But God has a way of blessing us that goes beyond any type of logic that we can come up. Our idea is we work seven days a week, we'll have more money. That's not the way it works. There are incredible blessings connected to keeping God's fourth commandment, the Sabbath day. The fourth point about unconditional surrender is this. You give God authority and power over your appetites. Now, your appetites are many, 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 many. But you give God a power and authority over your appetites. My appetites are no longer mine, Lord. They're your appetites. Let me give you an example here of what I'm talking about. Leviticus, one area I'm talking about. Leviticus 11 and verse 2. It says, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the beasts which you, sh which you shall eat among all the beasts that are on the earth. Now, I know it says, Speak to the children of Israel, but God had to be talking to somebody, right? He, had to be he wasn't talking to himself, okay? So a lot of people say, Oh, that's for somebody. That's for Israel. That's for somebody. No, it's for you. It's for humanity. There are scavengers of the land. There are scavengers of the sea. There are scavengers of the air that you're not supposed to be eating. Are you concerned about your personal health? Are you? You should be. Would, do you like the idea of spending the biggest part of the, of the end of your life in a hospital? Or the biggest part of the end of your life in an old folks home? Where someone has to take care of you? Wipe your behind, do everything for you? Are, are you? Do you like that idea? Or would you like to be healthy in your old age? Now let me break it down for you so you can understand it. Number one, God created the human body. Number two, God created the animal kingdom. And God created some of those animals to be scavengers, to clean up the earth. A possum is a scavenger. Do you know how a possum enters a dead carcass? It eats its way into the anus of the, of the dead carcass and eats, eats its way back out. You don't want to eat a possum. Trust me on that. It's a scavenger. God says, don't eat them. And God says, don't eat the scavengers. They're meant to clean up the earth. They're not for human consumption. There are clean and unclean beasts. Every time you sit down to eat a meal, 
you get the chance to prove whether you're a real Christian or not. No, I don't eat that. I don't eat that because God says don't eat that. You got a problem with that? You got a problem with what God says? God says don't eat that. Now, if I was just following my own carnal, fleshly desires, I would eat anything, right? I would eat anything, snakes and snails and puppy dog tails, whatever. But I'm not following my own fleshly desires. I'm following God's ideal for me to stay healthy, His dietary laws. Now, maybe I haven't convinced you that God's God wants power and authority over your appetite. Well, let's take a look at Isaiah 66 and verse 15. For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. Folks, we're talking about the return of Jesus Christ to this earth and he is angry. Well, what's he angry about? Well, let's read on. Isaiah 66 and verse 16. For by fire and by the sword will the Lord plead with all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. Yeah, God's going to kill a lot of, kill a lot of people when he returns. Uh, Isaiah verse 17. They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the garden behind one tree, in the midst eating swine's flesh, and the abomination, and the mouth shall be consumed, says the Lord. Now, do you like the idea of being consumed by God, being killed by God? It says that those that's, that eat are eating swine's flesh, pig meat, and the mouse, because they're that's, that's an unholy, that's, they, they are scavengers, not meant for human consumption. God says they're going to be consumed. You see, unconditional surrender is important when it comes to a relationship with God. The surrender of your mind, what goes on between your ears. The surrender of your appetite, yes. The surrender of your time, yes. Your time is not all your own. God owns the seventh day Sabbath. It's holy time. The surrender of your money, yes. God expects you to give 10% of your income to Him. Now, I want to read you a story that I like. It's entitled, I Know He Goes to War. It says, I can't tell you of ever finding God in church, and I can't remember he was near me when I went there. I do remember seeing a lot of friendly, smiling faces and people dressed in all their nice clothes. Somehow I always felt uneasy. Too many people, too close. Boy, I can relate to that. No, I don't remember seeing God in church, but I would hear his name there constantly. Some ask, have you been born again? If so, when? And I don't understand. I did feel God in Vietnam almost every day. I felt him when after an all-night firefight, he sent the sun to chase the rain away, and the rain would return with majesty the next day. He was there when I collected Sergeant Morrill's, Morrill's body parts to put them in a bag. He was there when I wrote the letter to his widow, explaining how he died. He was behind me when I heard Sergeant Sink's last dying gasp. He, carried, he helped carry uh, Sergeant Swanson down a hill in the Anlo Valley. I caught a glimpse of God when I felt the heat of napalm called upon our position, May 27, 1967. I felt him around me when the chaplains would hold field services for our dead. I saw his reflection in the faces of men when I told them to save one bullet for themselves as we were about to be overrun one hot, steamy day in Nam, far away. He led me in the Lord's Prayer on every air assault as we stood on the skids coming in at treetop level. 
when we sent out up, when we set up our night ambushes, I could see, I couldn't see my own hand because of the darkness. I would feel his hand. He sent loneliness to guarantee the fond memories that always appear later in life. I'll always remember the strength God gave to the orphans, the children of war. He made them strong, but they didn't understand. I know after 25 years, we sleep under the same stars. He sent boys to war. They return young men. Their lives forever changed. Proud to protect the land of the free. I don't know if God goes to church, but I know he goes to war. My, wow, powerful story. I know God goes to war. You see, God is the greatest military might you will ever encounter. And to enter into a relationship with this great power, this great military might, he doesn't tolerate a whimsical, passive, half-hearted effort very well. And God will tolerate nothing less than unconditional surrender. Do you really think you want a relationship with God? I mean, really? I'm talking about, I'm, I'm talking about let's get beyond playing church and singing in the choir and feeling good about ourselves. Do you really want a relationship with God? Our greatest battle is the war that is raging within the battle for the thoughts and the control of our mind. We have a battle going on and we had better fight. The battle to surrender to God's will. I, I, sir, to understand that God owns your fill in the blank. I want to conclude with Luke 13 verse 23. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And this is a powerful question. His disciples are asking Jesus, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Notice that many are trying, many are seeking, but they can't enter in. Why? Why? When once the master of the house has risen up and has shut the door, and you begin to stand without knocking at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he shall answer and say to you, I don't know who you are. Then shall you begin to say, well, Lord, we have eaten and drunk in your presence. And, and you have taught in our streets. Folks, these are religious people. We're talking about religious people here. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And that word is just lawlessness. They had a no law theology. Law's been nailed to the cross, been abolished, been done away with, been fulfilled. Yes, a no law theology. We're talking about religious people who never came to the point of unconditional surrender. So I want to ask you a question. Are you one of the few who will be saved? Or are you a part of that religious mass of people who think they are saved without unconditional surrender? I'm David Freeman, and that's what's really in your Bible. Many people spend their whole life repeating the same old mistakes. What does it take to have good discernment and good judgment? It takes having the Spirit of God. But what many people overlook is, the Spirit of God is not something that you are born with. Man was created incomplete, missing that spiritual element that would make him complete. 
the Bible clearly lays out the way to receive the Spirit of God. Learn the step-by-step -step process for receiving the Spirit of God. Order your free copy of Why You Need the Holy Spirit. Order by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.org.